Um, okay, now it's catching fire. That's great. Good. Good. So we're looking at famous last words, and I've just got a few here. Did you know that George Best, the amazing footballer, his last words, do you know what they were? Don't die like I did. Yeah. It's sad, isn't it? He died of liver failure. Mother Teresa, she said her last words were, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you. Isn't that wonderful? John Wesley, the best of all is, God is with us. Isn't that great? As he enters death. Marvellous. And we'll see in a minute that this is, this is going to be Joshua's last words. But I'd like us, first of all, to listen to chapter 23. We've got a, a dramatised version, uh, which actually, if you want to buy the whole Bible in dramatised version, it's called NIV Live. Um, doesn't suit everybody, but we're going to listen to it because it's easier than someone reading it. After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord, your God, has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord, your God, who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The Lord, your God himself, will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord, your God, promised you. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you roots a thousand, because the Lord, your God, fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord, your God. But if you turn away, and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But 
just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. Strong stuff, isn't it? Excuse the American accent, but um, don't suppose Joshua was American. Okay. Um, in chapter 22, if you, um, I'm kind of encouraging people to read the Bible. Okay? And one of the things I said the first time I spoke some weeks ago now is that um, if there's one thing that comes out of this series, well, there's, there's three things that I wanted, that we fall in love with this book, that we believe and trust this book, and that we do what God says in this book. <laughs> and if we achieve that, well, I think God will be delighted. So, if you read chapter 22 of Joshua, you'll read a really interesting story of how he's telling the people to go back into the land, the other side of Jordan, who were going to stay there, and he commends them for such a good work that they've done in battling with their colleagues, and he says, now go on back, you've fulfilled all that God told you to do, which is wonderful. And now we come to this chapter 23, and I want to look at a bit in chapter 23, and then a bit in chapter 24. But this chapter starts almost with a repeat of chapter 1. And so what has happened is that when Joshua first comes on the scene in chapter 1 of Joshua, he's handed the baton from Moses. So Moses has said to Joshua, Now, I've done all that God told me to do. I've written everything in a book. It's over to you now. You do it. Be courageous. Be strong. Go and do it. And Joshua takes up that baton. And now it's the end of Joshua's life. He's now 110. And he's dying. And these are his last words recorded. And he's saying, now I'm handing you the baton. I've seen God do amazing things. And by his grace, I've been faithful too. Because we read that he now becomes the servant of the Lord, not just the servant of Moses. And he's saying, now here's your baton. You take it on. Go with it. And they're strong words, just like the ones he received from Moses. Now Joshua in Hebrew, the word Joshua, in Greek the equivalent is Jesus. God saves, or words to that effect, God is saviour, the Lord saves. And Jesus has given us a battle, the church, before he died. Although he's still alive, he handed responsibility to the church. And that's why this whole series I've done is called Privilege and Responsibility. Because there are such privileges in Christ. But the other side of that is this such responsibility. So, there we are. So this book of Joshua, as I've said before, it's not so much about Joshua as about God and what he does and how he does it. It's about him taking the initiative, making promises, making them come to pass, but it's also about man's responsibility. So all the way through the, book, the book, we read of Joshua and his devoted obedience to the word of God that Moses had given him. Yes, he slips up, but he gets up again and he gets on with it. And it's amazing, he now comes to the end of his life and he can say, 
I'm able to hand this on. And my heart is that we as a church have that testimony, and we as individuals can have that testimony too. So there's a word I want to pick up on, first of all, and it's not obvious in the NIV, but it's the word cling. The word cling is used several times in this chapter. So in chapter 23, verse 6 to 8, it says this, Be strong and be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Sorry, this is, uh, oh, is this chapter 1, verse 8. It's almost the same thing. Be very strong, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast. And the word there is cling to the Lord your God. You're to cling to the Lord your God. It's a strong word. Um, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's D-A with a little hat on it. B-A-Q. Thank you. Dabach. Dabach. Thank you. I'm glad somebody knows. Okay. The same word is used in Genesis chapter 2, where it says, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast or cling to his wife. And it was just such a privilege to be part of the wedding that happened here yesterday, on Friday, and then again a blessing on Saturday, to see two people who've known each other for years and they've got children realize they want to cling to each other before God and make a covenant together before God and before their friends and family and people who went to say, yes, we're clinging. It's great. And the same word is used in uh, verse 12 of chapter 23 in a different context because it says, for if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations that remain among you and make marriages with them, so you associate with them and they with you, know for certain the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but there'll be a snare and a trap to you, a whip on your sides, a thorn in your eyes, until you perish from the good ground the Lord your God has given you. So it seems to me there's something about what are you clinging to? What are you devoted to? What do you really love? And so it then goes on in verse 11, so be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. And that's, I could sit down. <laughs> be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Do we? Do we love him? Because he loves us. Revealed in the cross, forgiveness, the gift of his spirit, adoption into the family of God. We love him because in Christ we've ceased from our own works. We give up trying to justify ourselves and make ourselves acceptable to him. We love him because our confidence in time and in eternity is in Christ. We love him because we've been made citizens of heaven. We love him because we can anticipate a fulfillment of all that we can see through a glass darkly. But what this also says is that this relationship with God that Joshua knew, that Moses was handing on, is relational. It's not a belief system. It's not a, well, I believe, I mean, I love the creed, don't get me wrong. But just saying it doesn't make you any different on its own. 
So to love God is to embrace his word. It's to live in repentance of faith every day. It's to cultivate daily obedience. It's to enter into his rest through his promises and to live in the light of eternity. And if we really love God, I suggest we'll express it in praise and worship when we gather. We'll experience it every day in assurance, deep gratitude to God. We'll speak well of him wherever we can and whenever we can. And we'll want to please him, to serve him, to live for him, to suffer or even die for him. Hallelujah. It's all because he loved us. And that's what this story of Joshua, to me, has been all about. It's been, I found it difficult, I found it really challenging. And I haven't found it easy preaching it, because I think, can I honestly say that? (laughs) Can I honestly say that with integrity, that's what I'm like? And it makes me fearful. But I tell you, in my heart, I'm saying, yes, (laughs) definitely, I want to live for God. And I think that's why we're all here. So we've heard these promises and these warnings. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that's written in the book. But if you turn away... And then he says, as we heard, in this sort of dying voice that the actor put on, now I'm about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls that not one word has failed of all the good things your Lord God has promised concerning you. All have come to pass. Not one of them has failed. What an amazing thing to say. That he's lived his life, he's 110, and he's saying, do you know what? God has never failed. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? And we have to go the way of all the earth too, don't we? And when Jesus, our Joshua, died, what did he say? He said, it is finished. Not one thing has failed of all that God commanded me to do. It is finished. And he handed on the baton to us. And then we move on to chapter 24, which we haven't read, but I'm going to pick on bits of it. You must read it in your own time. Commentators say, apparently, that this, the shape of this chapter, the way it's worded and put together, it's a bit like a treaty is drawn up between an overlord and the common people. So it's kind of worded like a covenant, which is quite interesting. And we start with verse 1. It says, And Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, or Shechem. And they presented themselves. And then he says, this is what the God of Israel says. And he prophesies, <laughs> speaks as, if, as God's voice over the people. Shechem, Shechem. It's such an interesting place. And we read at the end of the chapter in uh, 26, which is why we've got stones here. On that day, verse 25, on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people And there at Shechem, he drew up for them them, decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place 
of the Lord. See, he said, this stone is a witness. It's heard all the words that God has said. Hmm. The stones you've got, they're hearing all the words that you've said. If you've written on it, or you're going to take it away and write on it. It's a witness. He took this large stone and put it under the oak. Now you see Shechem, Shechem. I love scripture. It's like a tapestry to me, and I get so excited about it, and it makes me want to talk for ages about things that would probably bore you to tears, or certainly go beyond 12. Um, Because if you turn over, if you look at scripture and start digging into it, you you see the picture, you read the page, but if you look at the back, you'll realize that the threads go all over the place, and they just pop out on the front, and then go back again. So if you're studying the scripture, can I advise you, get a good Bible, (laughs) get a concordance, so you can look up words and trace them around, Get maybe a Bible dictionary, things like that. But get into it. And there are lots of people here, I'm sure, can help you do that. So Shechem, it, it crops up in several places. It crops up in Genesis chapter 12. When God said to Abraham, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, the Lord I'll show you. I will make of you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great. So that you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I'll curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We've talked about that a few weeks ago. The great covenant that God made through Abraham, into which we are entered, that through God's people, the whole world will be blessed. So it's not about us. It's about the whole world that God loves. And Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oaks of Mori. And that time the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I'll give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. There at Shechem was the promise, 500 years before-ish, that God is going to lead you into this land. And here's Joshua at the end of his life saying, Let's go to Shechem and remember that way before we were ever in Egypt, way back then, God made a promise, and it's come true. A place of promise and covenant. And later on in Genesis, chapter 33, we read that Jacob goes to Shechem, and he erected an altar there and called it El Elohe Israel, the mighty God of Israel. A place of worship there at Shechem. And then we read in chapter 35 of Genesis that Jacob, well, God said to Jacob, go to, to Bethel. And when he, he saw the people and he said to the household and everyone with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you. And Jacob hid them under the oak tree that was near Shechem. So there at this place, this covenant, this worship, and way back then there was a Jacob said, take away your foreign gods and bury them here at this place of covenant and worship. And here we are, Joshua's doing the same thing at Shechem. Isn't it wonderful when you see how it all fits together? Hmm. So we go into chapter 24. And the first part of this great prophecy is God saying what he has done. 
There's quite a lot there, so I'm not going to read it all. But let me pick out a few things. Long ago, your forefathers worshipped other gods. But I took you. I took Abraham. Then I sent Moses. I afflicted the Egyptians. I, says God, brought you out. The Lord, I put darkness between you and the Egyptians. The Lord, I brought the sea over them. I brought you out. I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them. I delivered them. I sent the hornets ahead of you. You did not do it with your own sword or bow. I gave you the land. So God is saying, as all the way through this book, I am the one who does everything. And then verse 14, after this whole prophetic sort of looking back, if you like, that God says, looking back, I have been faithful. I've done it all. I'll read from verse 13, just so you get the last verse of it, if you like. So I gave you the land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them, and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Wasn't God good? Now, we've heard the privilege. Now is the responsibility. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers that they serve beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But then Joshua said, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God's amazing, isn't he? That he doesn't pressurize us. (laughs) It's staggering. He gives us a choice. Choose who you want to serve. Wonderful. Awesome. So I've got here, pause, ask a couple of questions. What may have been the gods that have been worshipped in past generations by our parents or grandparents or way back? And secondly, what are the gods of those we live amongst today? In Bristol, in our streets, in our schools, in our workplaces. Have a chat. What do you think the gods are today in whose land we dwell? Take a few minutes. Okay, anyone got any things they want to shout out? Gods of the past, gods that are around us, things that people cling to, things that people love, things that people live for. things that are most important to them. They're gods. Any suggestions? Self-interest. Self-interest, thank you. Intellectual achievement. Yeah. Yeah, it's not all about intellect and passing exams. Absolutely. Money, yeah. Having the latest thing, thing. yeah. Sport? Sport? Who said that? 
Oh, well done, Mark. Yeah. Wasn't Dave, was it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dave. Okay. <laughs> when you've won, you can bury it, yes. <laughs> Job security and health, yeah. Nationalism. Good. Yeah. Sorry? Our name. Yes. Okay. Commerce and shopping. Good. Interesting, aren't they? So I says the flip side to that is, do we cling to those things too? <laughs> I think we can recognize some of these. You know, so calling them gods is strange, isn't it? But the, what is it that, that people are clinging to that actually, actually they worship? <laughs> what are they aspiring to achieve and giving their lives for? Career. Yeah, the things we've mentioned. Holding an opinion. You know, one of the things that I... Well, I hope the BBC don't listen to it, I suppose they will. One of the worst programmes, I think, is um, not Question Time, but the one afterwards. What's it called? Any Answers? Oh, I can't abide it. Well, because sometimes people might phone and they think, oh, they've got a considered opinion on this, but most of the time it's just nonsense. And it seems like anybody can have an opinion about anything. Here am I saying that now in public. <laughs> <laughs> I've just shot myself in the foot, haven't I? <laughs> but it's true, we all hold our, we've all got an opinion. And actually God's got an opinion. <laughs> and sometimes we have to bow ours for his. I'd suggest that one is having a private faith. Hmm? It's not biblical. That's interesting. So the people answered... We will serve the Lord. So Joshua commands them in verse 23, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord. And on that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people there at Shechem. Hallelujah. I think it's wonderful. You kind of wonder, how do you do that now? How do we make covenant like that now? How do we say, yes, God? This is an amazing story, but I don't want it to be just a story. I want it to be my life. <laughs> and that's what this book does for me. It challenges me deeply. Will I live wholeheartedly for God and not worship anything else? In Hebrews... If you read Hebrews, it's, a lot of it is about covenant, isn't it? <laughs> about old covenant and new covenant. It's about the promises of God. It's about God speaking now through Jesus. And it's about our responsibility. So I'm going to read a short sections from uh, chapter 9, 14 to 15, and then chapter 10, 19 to 25, which I'm reading from the message. Again, just so it makes us think, oh, is that what it's saying? And before, if you read it in the message, it has sometimes little paragraph headings. And under this bit it says, don't throw it all away. <laughs> the blood of Christ shall cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death. 
so that we may serve the living God. Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. He has died as a ransom to set them free. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. So, friends, we can now, without hesitation, walk right up to God, into the holy place. Jesus has cleared the way by the blood of his sacrifice, acting as our priest before God. The curtain into God's presence is his body. So, let's do it. Full of belief, confident that we're presentable inside and out. Let's keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshipping together as some do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day approaching. It's very corporate, isn't it? Those words are very corporate. In terms of this church, I suggest there's a couple of things that we can really commit to. One is gathering together on a Sunday. Let's review how we do it, but let's gather together to worship, to pray, to learn. But also, um, there are discipleship groups here, and uh, a few of us are thinking about those and what we can do to just inject life into them again and re-envision them. And on November the 9th, I think it is, uh, we're going to be talking a bit about that. And our encouragement will be, join a group so that you're part of someone you can be accountable to if you're not already in one. If you're interested, have a chat with me afterwards. So I've got now conclusions <laughs> of this series. We looked at the call of God on Joshua and how from the very beginning he heard the call of God on his life. And it was many years that he was being formed by God to become the person he became. We've heard about how they entered the promised land miraculously through the Jordan, following God all the time, keeping their eyes on him because he the one, he's the one who did it all. And we identified our enemies. Who are they? What are they? We then looked at the sin of Achan and the tragedy, the anger of God against his people because they didn't take him seriously. We then looked at the error of leadership and the grace of God the error of that leadership, of Joshua, the failings he had. But the grace of God, that he used that to demonstrate that actually God wants to embrace all people, every nation, tongue, tribe, anyone who fears him is welcome. So I hope that in looking at Joshua we've been reminded of who God is, how great he is, how huge his heart, how great his love for all mankind. So the privilege, on one angle, Joshua is all about the faithfulness of God as the outstanding theme. When God says he'll do something, he does it. He sees his promise through. And the responsibility from the other side, the, the book of Joshua is about the necessity of obedience as the required human response. And the key which we read in chapter 1, is this. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, 
so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Remember, Joshua was probably a timid man. He had so much encouragement. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. I keep bearing that in mind when I've had to get up here Sunday after Sunday. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. Speak it as you believe it. And we, the church, have now received the baton from Jesus. Do you believe that? God is at work. You find it when you talk to people. But it's our responsibility to find out what God's doing and lead them to know him. And he wants us to do that. The great baton that Jesus handed us in Matthew 28, when the disciples were around him, even though some doubted, he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So will you and I put away the gods of this culture from our hearts? Will you and I shape our lives and the lives of our families on God's revealed word? Will you and I cling to him with everything we have? And will you and I do what God says when he speaks to us through his word or prophetically? God gives us a choice. And these stones are a witness. You know, you know the church motto by now, I expect, don't you? Rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ to be a people of conviction, courage and passion who proclaim and serve him in all of life. Well, I helped write that with Dave and Marky, but I still find it difficult to read and believe. Will we be a people, church, at Cairns Road, a cairn is where you pile stones, isn't it? <laughs> a cairn is a place of witness. Will we be rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ, a people of conviction and courage and passion who proclaim and serve him in all of life? Because I absolutely sincerely believe it's going to get more difficult for Christians, not easier. <laughs> but will we stand up for him? Because we love him, because he loved us. We're going to sing some songs in a minute. One of them is Oceans, and it says this, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could even wander, and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Saviour. I'm really impressed, young people, with the songs you've chosen today. And as I read them and I sing them, I think, God, I want to mean these words. I do mean these words. And of course, we might be challenged on them. <laughs> and when we're, going to read, we're going to sing as well, more than conquerors. When my hope and strength is gone, you're the one who calls me on. You're the life. You're the fight that's in my soul. 
We are more than conquerors through Christ. You have overcome this world, this life. We will not bow to sin or to shame. We are defiant in your name. You're the fire that cannot be tamed. You're the power in our veins, O Lord, our God, our conqueror. It's not triumphalism. It's recognizing that it's all about God. And we're just aligning ourselves with him. I'm going to finish by reading 2 Peter chapter 3, 8 to 14. And I pray God that the words live for us. Because I've been studying Joshua and I look at other books and how they relate and how the New Testament enlightens the whole thing. I'm so challenged by it. Because, as I've said, I think every time, I believe there's an urgency. (laughs) I really do. For me, because I'm getting older, but for this world. (laughs) God's got an urgency about it. When Moses died, immediately God said to Joshua, now come on, get up, you're going in. (laughs) Didn't say, well, take a few months to get over this. So 2 Peter says this. Do not overlook this fact, beloved, that with with, with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire, oh, I've read that, no, I haven't, and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we're waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So I've been praying, as I've been praying at night, just saying, God, God, what are you going to do? I don't know what more I can say. (laughs) All I can say now is, God, do something amongst us. Can I pray that for us all? God's speaking to us as a church. I so believe that, not because of what I've been saying. I just so believe that. God's doing stuff. And I pray God to give us conviction, courage, and passion so that we see people around us coming to know him because he died for them, and he loves them. You may be amongst those who don't know him. Well, come. (laughs) He loves you. He's bent heaven and earth to know you and to draw you into a relationship with him. So all that we do, whatever it is we do here, may it serve that purpose, to see Jesus lifted up, to see this culture around us, invaded by the presence of God.
So, Lord, take these words. By your grace, make us, Lord, a people of conviction, courage, and passion. True followers of Jesus, truly anointed by your Spirit, truly filled. And so that when we meet you on that day, whether that's before this world is burnt up or at that time, that we, like Joshua, can say all the promises have been fulfilled and can stand before you in utter awe that you've accomplished something through feeble, weak people like us. Do it, God. Do it. Amen.